Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Hi, please join me for a prayer of illumination. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let the same minds be in you that was in Jesus Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks be to God for the reading of Holy Scripture. It is my real privilege to be able to join with you in worship this morning. And I would just encourage you again, just as I would if we were back together in our, in our worship space, I would invite you to pull out your Bible or find the text on your cell phone and just join me as we share these scriptures together. Would you do that? Can you believe it? When we started Lent on Ash Wednesday of February 26, little did we know that we would end our Lenten practices this coming Thursday night from the confines of our homes and listen, just admitting that is rather humbling. It's humbling to admit that we're finite creatures. We, we would like to think that we can see the future and control the events of our lives, but these last few days are showing us how little control that we have. But nevertheless, here we are today celebrating Palm Sunday. And let's remember that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was days away from what I call a head-on collision with two massive forces. The first massive force, we could call it internal, and that is this knowledge that he had within himself that he must go to Jerusalem and do God's will. And the second force that was going to collide with God's will for his life would have been the expectations. I call it that the external force, the, exter the, the, the expectations of the people, the pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem with high expectations that Jesus would be the one. And so if you were to ask the man or woman on the streets of Jerusalem, what's going on? Why, why the excitement about this, this carpenter Jesus? The answer would be, well, don't you know he's our best hope to tear down this Roman oppression that we've been going through? 
But then if you ask Jesus, Jesus, what's going on? Why are you here? Of course, his answer would be very different. And he would say, I have come to do the will of my father and he has sent me to finish the course. Or he might say, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Most likely, you and I would say, well, Jesus, thank you so much for telling us that, but could you break that down a bit? We don't even know what you're talking about. And Jesus would then say, well, let me go a little bit further with you. I don't, I want you to know this, don't be fooled by this massive crowd. Because you see, by next Friday, this crowd will have rejected me. I will be arrested by the religious leaders and I'll be crucified on the cross by the Romans. And this is why John the Baptist said of me, there he is, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. The reality is the people of Jesus' day weren't interested in redemption from their sin. They were more interested in redemption from Rome and relief from their problems. And that's why I think one of the saddest scenes on that Holy Week leading up to crucifixion, Crucifixion Friday, was not his entering Jerusalem and the crowds. One of the saddest scenes was Jesus' attempt to curb the enthusiasm of the disciples because they were struck. They were gushing with, with euphoria and praise for the beauty and the splendor of the temple in Jerusalem. Because you see, in the Jewish imagination, the sacred temple was the physical representation of God's presence with them. And they were looking and longing for the day when Messiah would come and restore Israel to its rightful place. The belief was that the Messiah would come to the temple. But Jesus was not and would not be sneered by their euphoria. In fact, Jesus cautioned them. And he said, listen, guys, be careful. Because the days are coming when not one stone, you see this beautiful shiny temple? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down and life will become very precarious. And in Matthew 24, and that's a great chapter to read, Jesus begins to outline the signs that will precede his coming, the signs that will signal the, his coming and the end of the age. And he urged them to keep watch. He said, stay awake, pay attention, don't go to sleep because you don't know when the Son of Man is going to come. You don't know when he will return. He will come like a thief in the night. And unfortunately, throughout history, the church has tried to sanitize and get rid of what I call the tension of Palm Sunday. And that tension represents what I call a clash of visions our vision of what we think life ought to look like, what security looks like, what the world ought to look like, and God's vision that God has determined and decreed from all eternity. And the two are radically different. Our personal vision for our lives and for the world will always be too small. And so when Jesus failed to deliver what they wanted, when Jesus didn't spout the rhetoric that they wanted to hear, when he told them and Pilate, that my kingdom is not of this world, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, away with him. And within hours, his disciples, his circle of friends, one of them betrayed him, another one denied him, and eventually Jesus was all alone. All the disciples, they deserted him. And friends, I want us to know that we are in danger 
of suffering the same collapse of our world because we have a vision that we want Jesus to support. We prefer following a Jesus who will be our personal deliverer, one who will support our vision of what our best life ought to be. And one would think that compared to the disciples and the people of Jerusalem, one would think that because we have more light and we have more information and we have more, more biblical understanding than they did, that we would respond differently to Jesus. But the reality is we don't. We're just like the people of this day, of his day. And that's the reason why I want to strengthen us in the word from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where Paul paints this majestic portrait of Jesus and presents this enormous description of Jesus. I don't know if you know this, it's one thing to read the Gospels and it's good to read it, but the beautiful thing about the letters is that the letters of the Apostles, they represent the Apostles' theological reflection, reflections on the life and the person and the story of Jesus as found in the Gospels. And it is these reflections, I believe, that will help us gain a grander vision of who Jesus is. It is these reflections that will help us acquire a bigger vision for our lives and how we should live in the world. And so on this Palm Sunday, when the world is looking for a saving, a, a saving vaccine that will eviscerate COVID-19, and we know that they will find it. We know they will find it. We just want, we just want that vaccine to be found even earlier than they are predicting. On this Palm Sunday, when many Americans will be looking and are looking for a political messiah, come November, first, second week of November, all of America will be going to the ballot boxes and we'll be voting on a political messiah to occupy the White House. I would suggest to you that even with all of the above, our vision is still too small. And here's why. Because after we've solved COVID-19 and after we have voted for our person, we've voted our person into the White House, our world will still remain contingent and vulnerable and insecure and broken and susceptible to all kinds of troubles, troubles that we don't even know of right now that will render null and void the vaccine and the abilities of the person that we elected to the White House to save us out of the coming problems. Our lives will be shaken. Jesus says, do not be afraid. In this world, we will face tribulation. Those tribulations will come and our lives are going to be shaken. Our lives may even crash for many of us. Our worlds will collapse because we have settled for minimal solutions instead of looking for ultimate solutions. And Paul's immense portrait of Jesus suggests that ultimate solutions are rooted in Christ, not as personal coach, not as a political leader, but as our Lord and our Savior and our King. And this is what I believe we have in this section of the letter to the Philippians. We have this rich, dense picture of Jesus in the form of a Christological hymn. This rich understanding of Jesus then can shape, it has the power to shape how we see life in this world with all of its trials. And it also has the power to set us on a path to living God's vision, despite what's happening in the world. And of course, we don't have the time to fully explore all the nuances of this rich portrait of Jesus. So I'm just gonna have us take a look in a very brief way 
at these sketches that Paul has laid out for us. And one of the first sketches that he gives us is this notion of the pre-existence of Jesus, where he says in verse six, though he was in the form of God, he did not equate, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. And whenever I read that passage, my mind always goes, go back to, my mind goes back to my days in seminary when I was in church history class and we were studying the Council of Nicaea and the formation of the Nicene Creed in 325. We, in fact, say the Nicene Creed in our church from time to time. And you know that the purpose of that creed was designed to reject the teaching of a man by the name of, name of Arius, who was a, a leader in the Church of Alexandria in Egypt. And what, what, what Arius was advocating was he had a very low view of Jesus. He said that Jesus was, was neither eternal, Jesus wasn't divine, Jesus was just created by God the way God created the angels. And scripture says, no, that's not true. Scripture counters this false teaching. The Nicene Creed rejected that false teaching by describing Jesus as the one who was in the beginning. In fact, if you read John chapter 1 and verse 1, this is what we read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. The Word was with God. It's a mind-blowing thought to consider. And then the second sketch God, Paul gives us of this glorious Lord Jesus is the sketch of his incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says in John 1, 14. Paul says in verse 7 of our reading that Jesus took on the likeness of humanity. He was God from all eternity, and yet this God took on our likeness. Jesus became a member of our human experience. And that's really good news, because by doing so, Jesus understands our temptation. He understands our worries. He understands our fears. He understands our pain. He understands all the struggles that you're going through. He understands death. And Jesus then can identify with what we're going through. Paul gives us another sketch, and he gives us a brief sketch of Jesus' crucifixion in verse 8. And he says of Jesus, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. Became obedient even to death on a cross. Now, think about it. Jesus, who existed from all eternity, as one with God, took on human flesh, and instead of asking for the, the highest position, he took the lowest position, and he gave up his life on the cross for us. And it's important that you hear that he gave his life. No one took his life. He knew why he was here. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus gave his life on the cross. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then that last sketch is in verses 9 and 10, and I call that ascension and reign, where Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let me remind you, friends, this sketch is about one person. We're not polytheists. All that we've just described, all that fullness, all that magnitude, all that glory, all that magnificence is bound up in one person. And there is no one on this earth who will be able to fill Jesus' shoes. No one in the Knesset 
No one in the White House, no one at number 10 Downing Street, no one in the Politburo, no one on earth, under the earth, even in, in heaven, has the power and the ability to fill the role of who Jesus is. He fills everything. He upholds everything by the majesty of his power. That's the Jesus I want to present to you today. And the question I want you to be asking yourself then is, what does this portrait of Jesus mean for the global coronavirus pandemic? And this is how I think about it. Because while this invisible enemy that the world now knows as the coronavirus is shaking the foundations of the world, it's even changing the way we do church. It's changing the way we live our lives. It's shattering our sense of security. It's destroying economies and taking lives by the thousands around the world. I want you to know that this virus, with all of its power and its ability to control seven and a half million people in the world, it still will not be able to derail God's plans for the world that was started and will be completed in Jesus Christ. Now, if we were together at church, I would squeeze a little amen out of you Presbyterians. Let me say it again. And while I'm saying it, you could just go ahead and type in the word amen. That's the way Presbyterians say amen these days. That with all that the coronavirus is doing to our world, it is still not able to derail God's plans for the world that was started and will be completed in Jesus Christ. At this moment, the, the, the virus has the stage, and we know that. It's capturing the headlines. It's driving despair into many nations and into the hearts of many people and into our homes. But Jesus still reigns. Amen? Jesus is still Lord. Jesus is bigger than this virus. And Jesus cannot be moved. The world is being moved. The world is being shaken. The world is being changed. But nothing of Jesus is changing. None of his plans have been derailed. Every plan and purpose of God is still on track to redeem and to restore. And so if Jesus is who he is, then what should be our response to Jesus? And verse 5, if you go back and look at verse 5, you read this call to participate in the life of Jesus. Philippians 2 and verse 5, Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Some translations say it this way, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I think this is what we need for the journey. As you and I face the myriad of challenges and the long dark days that are ahead that are being brought on by COVID-19, we, if we're going to come through this, we need the mind of Christ. We need the outlook of Christ. We need the perspective of Christ. We need the confidence of Christ. And by doing that, and the way to do it is to participate in his life. And you say, well, pastor, how does that happen? How do I participate in the life of Christ? Well, let me remind you, when you became a follower of Jesus, you were baptized, you were buried with him through baptism, and you were raised to new life. And the scriptures remind us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation the old is gone, the new has come, and that's what it means to be in Christ. When we're in Christ, we're then, we have the power, we have the capacity to think like Christ and act like Christ and be courageous like Christ. And because we're in Christ, we will not be moved. That's why we need that big picture of Christ. 
And I think of those times when I was growing up in Jamaica, we were very involved with a lot of teenagers our age at the time from high school. We were very involved in what we call the Jamaica Youth for Christ. And we attended those meetings on Friday nights and we, sung all, we sang all kinds of songs. And some of those songs I still remember. In fact, I, I remember a day in our church when we all in our church started singing this song and it took me all the way back to Jamaica. So I'm not gonna sing it, I'm just gonna quote the lyrics for you. And it says, oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is life for a look at the Savior, a life that's abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And that is the point of this message. I want you to see Jesus. I know you've spent a lot of time looking at the headlines and looking at all kinds of news, but I want you to balance that out on this Palm Sunday that you would see Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, you would rest in the immensity of his power to sustain this whole world, including you, through all of the crises and the challenges that we're going through. I hope you get the point that in the end, Jesus wins. Jesus wins, my friends. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Every virus will bow to the power of Jesus. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. <laughs>